the Elevate Yourself podcast is brought to you in partnership with Athletic Brewing. Athletic Brewing is beer that is brewed without compromise. It tastes just like the hard stuff, except you don't get any of the baggage. So no hangover, less calories, less sugar, super yummy, and you can drink it any time of day. Encourage you to check them out at athleticbrewing.com and use code ELEVATE30. That's right, code ELEVATE30 at checkout for 30% off your first order. Do it. Hey now, and welcome to the Elevate Yourself podcast. I'm Rob, and I am thrilled to get to be the host of this show. I feel super lucky. I work for this awesome company called Elevation Health. And in each episode of this show, I get to have a conversation with folks from all different walks of life about how they elevate themselves. It's my hope that these conversations will make you think, force you to change your best, and as a result, help you get a little bit closer to becoming the best version of you. Cassidy, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it's so nice to be here. Well, I'm, I'm excited to speak with you. Uh, first, I just would love for you to tell folks kind of your origin story. Tell us about your background, your education, your training, your research. I mean, how did you end up where you are today? Definitely. So originally, I grew up in uh, the northeast side of Indianapolis. Um, so that's where I'm from. And then I decided to go to the University of Dayton in Ohio for my undergraduate um, experience. So when I got there, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. And I kind of did a lot of different majors and different kind of explored my options. And then I ended up taking a biopsychology class um, at a summer study abroad. And I just fell in love with it. It was exactly what I wanted. It was science and people. So it kind of combined the two things that I like. And so once I um, took that class, I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to study. So I started working in a lab there and then decided I wanted to keep studying that. So when I graduated undergrad, I decided to get my PhD at the University of Kentucky. Um, and I'm studying experimental psychology with a focus more on the behavioral neuroscience side of it. Um, so I have a psychology background, that's kind of my training, but also um, some science thrown in there too. Um, so currently, uh, my research is studying the neurological effects of alcohol on specific brain structures um, to kind of understand what's going on in the brain when there's chronic alcohol involved um, to inform some of the changes in behavior involved in addiction. So I also like to preface anytime that I talk to like lecture, talk to people that I'm not clinically trained. Um, so I've studied psychology and the research side of it, but I'm not trained in diagnosis or treatment or anything. So I do like to give that disclaimer that um, I, I know the research and that's kind of what my answers and my thoughts are based on, not the clinical side as much. Well, that's well, what a what a what a great story, and also um, I think listeners of this show know that uh, I appreciate the research and everything that we do. We try to come back to the research um, and go Flyers, go Flyers, go Dayton Flyers. <laughs> yes. Um, speaking specifically talking about mental health, you know, during the uh, thinking about the COVID nineteen pandemic, I know that the number of anxiety and depressive symptoms really grew, and that. Uh, depressive systems grew by like 28%, 25%. Um, And I I guess I'm curious if you can kind of tease apart that for us, because people hear that number, 
Um, and we think that everybody's more depressed now. But it, what else is going on there? I mean, we're probably screening better. We're diagnosing better. People are getting support more. The stigma is being dropped. But can you tell us a little bit more about the, what maybe is going on with the increase? Yeah, definitely. So I do think that kind of the um, the stigma kind of an awareness definitely might be increasing it. It plays a part of it. But I do think that there's um, kind of some other stuff going on, too. I think generally the pace of society has been changing um, much more fast paced and um, high stress. So I think the changes in society recently might be contributing um, and specifically kind of talking about COVID, I think that the isolation during the pandemic does kind of play some role in this increase because humans are naturally social creatures. We're meant to have relationships. We're meant to be in a community and experience life together. So when we're forced to be isolated during this stressful time of fear and uncertainty and all this stuff, I think it definitely makes sense that there's this increase in depression and anxiety especially when we don't have access to therapy maybe during this time or some of our um, normal kind of coping behaviors, like the gym was closed. Maybe you can't go out and exercise if that's your coping behavior. So I think um, a lot of things changed in that isolation really kind of drove some of that increase. Um, and kind of coming back to, like I said, I study alcohol, there actually was an increase in the average drinks per day during the pandemic once they start and the number of binge drinking episodes once the pandemic started. And I think that um, has a lot to do with that isolation and that increased stress because people, like I said, don't have their normal coping behaviors going to the gym. And um, one actual a theory that um, is kind of involved in the development of alcohol abuse is that there's the self-medication hypothesis that people use, sometimes use alcohol to kind of relieve that stress or those feelings they have due to its um, depression of the central nervous system. So I think that with that increase in stress and depression and the isolation, there was that increase in drinking too. So a lot changed during the pandemic for a lot of different mental health disorders. Um, again, that isolation, that stress, that um, kind of faced with your own mortality and that fear of death. So I think that did play a huge role in these increases. That's great analysis. And I know that um, I speak, I, I know from firsthand experience, like end of the day, if I have not had like really good human to human interactions. I kind of go like, what's wrong? Like you feel a little off. And then I try yes. to think back about the day and those days where we're a little bit more isolated, it just feels a little harder. So that's, For sure. yeah. Um, you know, recently we, we have a lot of parents who listen to the show and I, this was really big news that the surgeon general said profound risk of harm to adolescent mental health and urge families to kind of set boundaries mm -hmm. and limits on social media. Um, can you talk about what's going on cognitively um, and the effect of like screen time on mental wellness for all of us, but maybe children as well? Yeah, for sure. So like the rise of social media and the internet is definitely great in a lot of ways, right? But it's definitely detrimental in a lot of ways too. So if we're thinking cognitively more like the internet and stuff, um, we have this access to information at our fingertips. We don't have to think. We can just, you know, type in a question and we have this answer. So cognitively, 
these kids can type in the answers to anything and they don't have to do that critical thinking that is necessary for intellectual development to be able to think for yourself. So I do think that that is one kind of detriment to having that access to information at your fingertips while it is a great thing. In terms of the mental wellness and well-being, uh, one thing I think is the ability to see what your peers are doing on apps like Instagram or Be Real, where you're just people are constantly posting about their life and what they're doing. I think that um, comparison to peers kind of might lead to a decrease in self-esteem. This comparison is a huge part of your teenage years, trying to figure yourself out. And when you have this access to constantly seeing what other people are doing, that self-comparison is really um, aggravated and increased. So like you might be sitting at home enjoying yourself as an introvert, but then you get on Instagram and all your classmates are out, you know, at the movie theater. And so maybe while you were content, seeing this um, might make you feeling insecure or left out or whatever whatever it may be. And I think another part about social media is that most people post the highlights, the happy stuff, um, the great things that are going on, right? And so if you're sitting there as a teenager struggling with something and you think all your friends are out having a great time all the time, then you're going to feel kind of isolated and like you're the only one struggling, which isn't true. And I think social media kind of... Um, just highlights the positive sometimes. Um, so that's um, kind of some things I think about social media that increase it. I think additionally, um, there's a lot out there on social media, um, sometimes not always good things. So let's say a kid is struggling with depression. And so they are going online, kind of looking for other people to relate to whatever. And they might have access to these ideas that they wouldn't have had before. So maybe someone on this forum or that they're talking to talks about cutting themselves, which they might never have thought about before. But with this access to these things, these ideas might be planted in their head at this vulnerable time. So I do think that it's really important for parents to kind of be watching the sites that they're on or who they're interacting with and making sure that they're not getting into dangerous things um, as it's a great thing, but it can be dangerous. There are some bad people out there that might take advantage of vulnerable kids. That's a good point. Wow. That was really great. And obviously a lot to unpack there. That idea of comparing ourselves, you know, I try to say to myself um, as a very novice amateur runner all the time, I'm like, you know, I, I even I can get on Strava, right? And I'm like, that girl, she just ran. She, I mean, that dude, like he's so much faster. And but it's like I just always get Rob. It's you versus you, right? Like it's you. you that's really all that matters at the end of the day. I try to share that with other people. Having said that, as a teen, yes. I mean, that's so hard. So hard. it's so hard to kind of develop that too, especially when you're young to recognize that. <laughs> Um, I, I want to ask about a word that gets thrown around a lot, specifically on social media. Um, you see this a lot on Instagram. People will be like, oh, my mantra or this mantra really helped me. Um, can you unpack the word mantra, exactly what that is and how if a person is going to use a mantra, how might they use it effectively? Definitely. So actually, when um, you talked about this, I went and I looked it up because I wanted to make sure like I know mantra, but I was like, what is the definition? So I looked it up and it says mantra refers to a statement or a slogan that is used repeatedly. That's kind of the common now kind of reference of it. 
But what's interesting is that originally um, the word mantra comes from Hinduism and Buddhism. And in that context, it's actually a word or a sound used repeatedly to aid in concentration and meditation. And I think when you take it back to that original origin, we can really see how this can help and aid in kind of mental health. Um, like we've been talking about, because meditation is a way to focus your thoughts and kind of get in touch with yourself. And uh, it's kind of a calming method, right? Now, I don't know about you, but when I try to do yoga and meditation, I my thoughts are racing at like a thousand miles per minute. Yes. I can't like focus. I have too much going on in my head. So the purpose of a mantra in this instance would be to say something like, you know, they always go like, oh, something like that. And it brings you back to that meditation and focuses you on what you're trying to do instead of all the thoughts racing in your mind. Now, I can't get myself to say something like that, but I focus on like my breathing when I'm trying to do something like that to remind me like of like myself and not my thoughts. So if we're taught, we think about it like that, bringing it back to kind of the current use of mantra, I think it makes a lot of sense when we're talking about this phrase that someone kind of lives by, right? So there's a lot of distractions in life. There's a lot of things going on, competing interests. So if you have this like one simple phrase that reminds you what's important to you, kind of like the focus of your life, I think it helps you focus on your values and your goals in daily life. And conflict in your head leads to a lot of stress and anxiety if you're not sure kind of like what you want to do, um, where you're going, that kind of thing. So I think using a mantra to remind yourself what's important to you will help you live the way that you want and kind of keep your mind clear of conflict. That's so great. That's so great and to have. It's almost like a, a grounding, right? So do you feel the yeah. like, yeah, it kind of helps you just recenter. Um, I had somebody help me with a mantra once. And so it sounds like I got it right. It was for a, a Spartan race. And I, we came up with, a, I am a brave athlete. Um, and so I first, it made me view myself as an athlete. Um, and that I was brave. And I, I did use it in moments where it got really hard. and It was uncomfortable. And I doubted myself. And it just kind of did help ground me. Um, exactly. It reminded you of what you needed to hear, like, hear in those moments and what you needed I'm with you though on the yoga. Mind is racing. Always. <laughs> yes, I I did not like it when I was younger and now I appreciate it much more now that I can actually try my best to <laughs> focus on what I'm doing, not the things racing in my head. Your positive thinking, growth mindset, you know, mindset theories are these these are terms that I'm familiar with and I've I've tried to practice to some degree. Um, there is no shortage of self-help books. I was just at the airport recently for a flight and all of, like the top five books were all self-help, how to, whatever it was. Um, but what does the research actually tell us about framing our mind for success or handling adversity? Yeah, that's a great question. The self-help stuff is self-help stuff is definitely, you know, common now because people, want that help. And these concepts like positive thinking and growth mindset are actually really key concepts in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is a really common therapy for those who are struggling with mental health disorders. But it can also be used with anyone who's trying to kind of reframe their thinking. So there's this common saying that I like in psychology. I think um, Dr. Dan Siegel was the one who kind of pioneered it. Um, but it's, it's kind of says, where attention goes, energy flows. And what this means is that 
the thoughts that you're focusing on and giving your attention to, that's where all your cognitive energy is going. Like it's kind of, you're giving that energy to those thoughts. So if you're focusing on those negative thoughts you're having, you're giving all your cognitive energy there, you're gonna tell yourself you're gonna fail, you probably will because that's what you're thinking. That's where your energy is going to. But if you focus on being happy and you tell yourself, you know, today's going to be a good day, like I'm going to get this done, then that's where your energy is going. So it's more likely that that will happen. So this is like pretty much what positive thinking is saying, right? It's focusing on the positive um, and trying to give your mental resources to that positive thinking. And this is kind of what they teach you in cognitive behavioral therapy. It's kind of reframing your thinking to get out of some of those negative thought cycles you might be having, kind of retraining you how to identify those negative thoughts and steer away from them or kind of correct them in a way. Um, so when we're talking about mental disorders or even in general, people ruminate on those negative thoughts. So this is a way of retraining that. So like you, you were talking about success, this helps, you know, frame your mind for success as well. If you're about to go into an important meeting or an interview or something, remind yourself that you're prepared. Think positively, you know, think about all that you did to prepare, how much you know, and you're going to come in feeling more confident and set yourself up for success than if you ruminate on, you know, all the negative things. And this is kind of the same thing for adversity and challenges, your, any challenge you're going to face in life, um, setting yourself up to focus on those positive thoughts, not ruminating on those negative thoughts. Um, so that's kind of what this growth mindset is too, is kind of changing that mindset, allowing yourself to grow into kind of these different thought processes. That's excellent. Thank you so much for that clarity there. Um, so now let's pull it all together. You have like, a, this is a totally loaded question, but like one low hanging fruit action item a person could do if they wanted to elevate their mental clarity and wellness every day. Yeah. So there's this practice that's really common now kind of in psychology circles. It's called mindfulness. And what mindfulness is all about is kind of taking a few minutes or moments, whatever it is, and kind of like being aware of your surroundings, not like everything that's going on, but it's kind of trying to focus on something and be like, what am I hearing right now? Like, do I hear birds chirping? Do I hear cars by going by? Like, what am I smelling right now? Um, what can I see? It's kind of trying to ground yourself in your environment um, and kind of focusing on yourself, what you're experiencing. Um, and it just takes a few minutes. I mean, you can take a walk and kind of like look at the trees or um, do some deep breathing anything like that, that just takes a few minutes to kind of like step out of your crazy head, your crazy world and come back like into that, like inner self, I guess. Nice. Um, I'm going to ask you another one here. Look into your crystal ball. What will we know about mental health or the brain? What are we going to know five, 10 years from now that we don't know today? That's such a hard question. Because <laughs> it's changing constantly. And I do think there's, definitely going to be advances like they call the brain the final frontier right there's a lot of research being done um so one thing that i think 
will kind of be the forefront of the next few years is with all the advancements of AI, artificial intelligence recently, um, I think we're going to learn a lot more about human decision making, um, maybe human consciousness, because AI is supposed to mimic what humans are doing, how they would react, what they would say. And so I think if people are trying to develop AI, they need to understand the human you know, thought process and consciousness. So I do think we're going to learn a lot more about that. Whether AI, you know, is going in the right direction is beyond, you know, my scope. But with all the the energy focus there, I think we're going to learn a lot about human decision making and kind of how our, our mind operates. Um, another thing that I think is um, can be dangerous but cool is all the advances in genetics. Um, because I think now that we're understanding some genetic vulnerabilities, able to identify certain mutations or um kind of things like that, I think we're going to be able to um, understand populations of people with these kind of genetic um, vulnerabilities so that we can treat these mental health disorders um, in a more targeted way. And like I said, I'm not going to go into the ethics of genetic engineering or anything that's beyond today's focus. But um, for something like depression, there's huge variability in the success of different antidepressants. A lot of times people will try several before they work. Um, and now they're starting to do some genetic testing where they can identify um, some things that they can use that to identify what might work better for these people, um, depending on maybe they have the specific genetic vulnerability that's um, influencing their depressive symptoms. So I think it might be able to help us um, kind of target our treatment more in some of those challenging disorders that are kind of guess and check sometimes. That's really great. And I feel like I'm going to have to have you back because I would love to talk more about gene therapy and what's working and what it's really good. Really good. Um, I want to quickly just go over to a listener question. We had one question from a listener that I thought was really great. And I think common for a lot of folks is that I have trouble going to sleep some nights. Do you have any recommendations to relax quickly? Yeah. So that's something I struggle with too. And I've read books on sleep research and stuff, and it's still something that can be hard sometimes. Um, but there's this practice called sleep hygiene, if you want to look into it more. Um, and basically, it's kind of creating this bedtime routine. The consistency is really important and having kind of a bedtime routine. Also trying to go to bed at the same time every night, wake up at the same time every morning is really good. Um, but there's some different tips. Um, I looked at the CDC to see kind of what um, they said. That's the Center for Disease Control. Um, so some of their suggestions were to make sure your bedroom is quiet and dark. Um, that's a really big thing. You know, light can interfere with your circadian rhythm. Um, make sure it's relaxing. A comfortable temperature is big too. I know I can't sleep if it's too hot. I have like 10 fans going in the summer. So, you know, find what temperature is comfortable for you too. Um, additionally, remove electronic devices um, from the bedroom and also try to limit your screen time before bed. I'm awful at that. I forget what the exact timing is before bed, but that blue light really does, again, mess with your circadian rhythm and ability to kind of initiate that sleep. So if you can try to limit that screen time before bed. Also, don't eat a lot before bed. That also can influence, you know, your circadian rhythm and falling asleep. So try to avoid large meals before bed. Caffeine, obviously, it helps you stay awake. 
forget what the exact time is, but I wouldn't drink it past 3 p.m. if you want to go to bed at a good time. Um, also, alcohol really disrupts your sleep. Um, one of our good friends, Justin, he actually looks at the interaction of alcohol and sleep. And while it may help you fall asleep initially, it messes up kind of your quality of sleep and your ability to stay asleep and have like quality sleep. Um, and also just get some exercise, get some energy out during the day. Um, you know, wear yourself out, I guess. Um, get some of that energy out so that when it's time to go to bed, um, you don't have as much of that energy kind of flowing throughout your body. So um, that's kind of, again, what some of my thoughts are, but look, there's a lot on sleep hygiene out there. So definitely look into that if that's something you're struggling with. Those are great, great, great resources and examples. That's really good. And I can speak firsthand that if I eat a large meal, as good as that meal tastes, it's like the sleep just is not as good. Your body's exactly. Yeah. Sitting there trying to digest the thing while you you're sleeping. You get that food coma, but then it's like after yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We're going to move to rapid fire real quick. All right, Cassidy, what's one thing you do every single day that elevates you? I always spend quality time with family or friends at night, no matter how busy I am, how much I have to do. I always take time um, to, you know, spend time with friends and family. That's awesome. Best purchase in the last month for less than $25, $25 cap. I bought a book when I was on vacation. I love to read and I don't do it enough during the school year. So I bought a fiction book and I read it and I it was amazing. Can you share the name of the book? It was called One of the Girls. It was kind of like a mystery, kind of like thriller book. Nice, 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 nice. All right, um, folks know I love food. Favorite meal or or drink for cognitive performance? So coffee is kind of what I need usually because it's the only thing that keeps me awake. But not if I have too much because then I'm too jittery and all over the place, which could be a whole nother topic, but Probably coffee. Very good. Yeah, it's all about the dose, isn't it? Mm -hmm. um, do you have a first principle quote or a saying, you like your kind of your mantra, I guess, <laughs> did you come back to? That's what, what I was talking about earlier is I really like that saying where attention goes, energy flows, because I have, you know, crazy thought processes. So I like to try to focus my thoughts and identify those ones that need my attention, that deserve the attention, not the bad ones. That's a great one. It's getting added to my quotes of 2023. <laughs> um, all right. Last one here. Current feel good mental boost song station. will get you going when you need a little pick me up. It's kind of like nerdy, but there's this, um, the movie trolls, it's kind of a kid's movie, but there's a song called get back up again. And every time I watch that movie or hear that song, it just gets me like so positive. I feel like I can do anything. And so I love that song. Oh my goodness, I'm going to fire that thing up tomorrow morning before my run. That's excellent, excellent, excellent. Well, thank you so much for doing this, Cassidy. We really appreciate it. Uh, can't thank you enough for coming on the show. No problem. It was great to be here, and I'm happy to talk to anyone about this stuff. So thanks for having me. As I mentioned, I work for Elevation Health, and we've been in business for 27 years, creating customizable solutions for your fitness and wellness needs. That's right, folks, 27 years. And in our 27 years, we've seen it all. So whatever your needs might be, we got you covered. From fitness management and online training to on-site classes and integrated technology, we help small and large groups alike 
get healthy, and stay engaged. I encourage you to learn more about us at contactelevation.com and to follow us on social media at elevation.health.